Well, um, today we are going to stay in this series that we've been in for a few weeks now. We're going to be in the series of Life with Jesus. And it's been really exciting. We've, we've looked at things like how we abide in Jesus, and we've looked at how we tell others about Jesus, especially our neighbors. Ollie did that a few weeks ago, which was a great talk. I want to focus and try and go a little bit deeper this morning and just look at what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. What is it like to be a follower of Jesus? Now, I want to start off by asking you if you've ever heard of the term or the, you know what the letters DTR stand for. DTR. If you don't, then I'm sure that at one time or another, we have all been asked a DTR question. Because DTR stands for define the relationship. Define the relationship. So if you're a parent with kids here, student with housemates, I know they won't be up at the moment, but, um, or if you've got work colleagues, um, my guess is at some point you've had to, you've encountered a DTR moment where you've had to define the relationship, find out what that relationship looks like. If you're sitting here with your husband or your wife, I'm sure your journey towards marriage you actually had to go through quite a few DTR moments. And I've been married 30 years, and I'm still having quite a few DTR moments. <laughs> when I first spotted Helen, my wife, across the, the floor of a ladies-only gym, and, and that's, a, that's a story for uh, another time I think we'll go into, <laughs> I, just, I just knew that I had to ask her out on a date. And so I used my skills of discovery. <laughs> to find out that she was a hairdresser, so moved in with the impeccable chat-up line of, maybe you could cut my hair sometime. <laughs> <laughs> now, how, how, could she, how could she resist at that? So, unable to resist, we ended up on our first date. And so my level of commitment at that time was, you know, I wanted to treat her well, maybe I'd take her somewhere nice, like Pizza Hut. Um, <laughs> And if it was going really well, perhaps we could cheer a salad from the salad bar. You know, that was a kind of level of expectation that I had on for our first date. Now, Helen's um, expectation was a, a little bit different. I think before the night was out, she said she was sick of being messed around by men. Um, was I looking to get married in the near future? <laughs> and did I want kids? Um, so you can see that Helen was kind of DTRing our relationship from the very first date I had my first DTR. But it, it's not just dating. Uh, for some of you, you, you would have gone from being a friend to a best friend, a bestie. And that takes a little bit of working out how that, how that is all going to come together. For some of you, you've gone from being work colleagues to friends outside of work. And that um, is a tricky one to navigate, and you have to DTR, define the relationship. What does it look like? Or well, for some of you, now this is a big one, you've gone from attending a small group to co-leading a small group, and that can be a tricky maneuver. So at some point in our lives, we will all kind of go through these DTR moments. And today, I want to ask you the question, have you ever had a DTR moment with Jesus? Have you ever had a DTR moment, a define the relationship moment with Jesus? What does your, your life look like as you follow Jesus day by day, month by month, and year by year? Now, I've been reading this book recently called Not a Fan, and um, really recommend it. 
It's a great book by a guy called Carl Eidelman, and I'm going to base quite a lot of what I say today out of the book. Um, And he begins to lay out what it looks like to truly be a follower of Jesus. And he asks the question, are you more like a fan of Jesus, or are you more like a follower of Jesus? And that is really what my question is today. The difference between having a relationship that looks like a, a fan or a relationship that looks like a follower. Now, on the face of it, you could say, what's wrong with being a fan? You know, fans are incredibly enthusiastic about what they love. Fans are passionate. They are full of admiration. Fans have the T-shirt. Fans have the CD. And many years ago, when I became a Christian, I really uh, started to listen to Christian music and got into this worship artist. He wasn't a worship leader. He was called a worship artist. And he was uh, this musician guy who played concerts and did tours and had t-shirts and, and, uh, and made videos. And I absolutely loved him. I thought he was great. And uh, I, ha- I even had this, which was, there's a picture, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Look at, look at the fringe on that. That is amazing. <laughs> I even had, and my, my edition said fan pack. It actually said fan pack, but you got extra footage and all of that sort of stuff. I loved him. And I remember queuing up in, I went to a, a Christian festival and he was playing at it, an outdoor thing, queuing up in the rain afterwards to get my CD signed by Stephen, which uh, <laughs> was incredible. I truly lived up to the dictionary's definition of a fan, an enthusiastic admirer. I was an enthusiastic admirer. So what's wrong then with being an enthusiastic admirer? What's wrong with being an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus? And I think it's even more confusing today because we get the term fan and follower kind of mixed up. We interchange it very easily. I mean, I'm sure there's a, there's a, a lot of people here that are going to know who Selena Gomez is, right? Selena Gomez, hands up if you don't know who Selena Gomez is. I had no idea who Selena Gomez was. But apparently, Selena Gomez, check it out when you get home, Selena Gomez has 123 million followers on Instagram. 123 million followers. But they're called followers. With the term fan and follower, we get confused. So what is the difference between being a fan and being a follower? Well, the problem is, fans, we are quite a fickle bunch, aren't we? Fans are quite a fickle bunch. Over time, our admiration begins to wane. I'm sure we've all had posters on our bedroom walls of people that we've admired and things that we've really loved. But over time, as we move on, as their popularity fades, so does our interest. You see, fans can know all about someone without actually knowing that someone. Fans can know all about Jesus, but actually never know Jesus. So let's spend a little bit of time then looking um, at the Bible to see how Jesus was around fans. Chose a really popular passage, um, John 6. I'm going to start in verse 5. I'm sure a lot of you will have heard this. Let me read it to you. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, 
Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go amongst so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. I love how practical Jesus is. <laughs> and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And that, scholars seem to think, is around 12,000 individuals when you take into account women and children. Now Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five body loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who is coming to the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, he began to sell CDs and T-shirts and sign many autographs. <laughs> it actually says, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus moved away from the crowd. He moved away from the fans. It's, it's a really interesting passage, this. One of the most famous passages in the Bible. It's the only miracle that appears in all four of the gospel stories. And it's a passage where we definitely see Jesus at the height of his popularity. And around him, there are many fans. Now, if I was Jesus' tour manager, just pretend that I'm his tour manager for a minute, I would have been saying to Jesus, okay, Jesus, great day, love the miracle, that was fantastic. Everybody's seated out on the ground now. They're all going to camp out. It's a beautiful night. Let's get up in the morning, day two, Let's hit them with another day's teaching, maybe a miracle lunch, just for good measure. Let's look at how we build on that fan base. But no, Jesus disappears up the mountain for a while. And then he decides to walk across the lake to the other side of the lake. So the next morning when the fans sort of wake up, they're like, where's, where's Jesus gone? And when they track him down in verse 25, they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? I love Jesus answered in verse 26. Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They were more interested, these guys, in another free meal than what Jesus really had to offer. And then, so between verse 28 and 35, we see fans continually missing the point of what Jesus is saying. Enthusiastic admirers more interested in another performance than what Jesus really had to offer. And so in, in verse 35, Jesus spells it out. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Suddenly, Jesus does what Jesus does best. He cuts right to the chase. He says, guys, I am the only thing on the menu today. Are you ready to believe that I can truly satisfy you? Or are you still hungry for something else? And then we have this sort of more of an exchange and we get down to verse um, 66 and we get their answer. The crowd answers. From that time, it says many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And notice that the Bible uses the word disciples. These were people who were more than just showing 
a keen interest. These were enthusiastic admirers. These were people who had sought him out. These were people who had the CD and had the T-shirt. These guys were fans of Jesus. But in verse 66, the fans turned back. Many turned back and no longer followed him. But I think what's even more startling about that is that Jesus seems okay with it. Jesus seems okay with it. Again, if I'd have been Jesus' tour manager, I'd have been saying, okay, we can remedy this. Let's put out a tweet saying that there's going to be a free lunch for everybody. Everybody come back. They'll get a free CD. We can make this work. But the truth is, Jesus offers himself to everyone. But not everyone wants what Jesus has to offer. Jesus offers himself to everyone, but not everyone wants what Jesus has to offer. I found that amazingly profound. Jesus wants followers way more than he wants fans. Jesus wants followers that know him, not just know about him. So if the goal then is to be more of a follower than a fan, what does it actually look like for us to be followers? That surely has to be the question that we have to ask. And in this book that I've been reading, not a fan, Um, There are a couple of questions in it that I really think help us wrestle with this whole concept of what it looks like to be more of a follower than a fan. Two really, really simple questions that act as a little checklist for us to help us work out where we sit on this line between being a fan or being a follower. And before I get to them, I just want to say this. It isn't my intention to bash anybody over the head with these questions. I hope they're helpful. I'm aware that there are many people here on many different stages of their journey. Some are here um, exploring faith. Some are here just visiting. And there are many here who have been in a relationship with Jesus for decades. And we have everything in between. But I do hope that these questions kind of prod a little bit. I hope that they challenge. I hope that they convict but it's not my aim to condemn anyone. And I think it is worth making it clear that the, the umbrella that arches over everything is our identity from the moment we accept Christ, the moment we accept Jesus, is that we are loved, we're accepted, we're adopted, we're forgiven, we live under grace and have freedom in Christ. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Jesus loves us unconditionally. Jesus loves us unconditionally, and he wants us to experience everything that he has to offer. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out. I don't want a free miracle meal if there's an everlasting meal on offer. Okay, so let's look at question one. Very simple. Does my life reflect what I say I believe? Does my life reflect what I say I believe? As I've said, it's a Pretty simple question on the face of it, but here's a little example of what I mean. Now, America is widely regarded as the most overweight country in the world. But in surveys that have been done up and down the country and across the country, if you ask Americans if they think exercise and healthy eating is important, they overwhelmingly respond yes to that question. Interesting, then, that the most popular food at any state fair up and down the country is this. 
It's, this, get this, this is a double cheeseburger in a Krispy Kreme donut bun. Chocolate covered bacon is extra. <laughs> I know where everybody's going for lunch. Do they do that at McDonald's? Um, you see, it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to say you believe in something, but the facts can tell a different story. It's easy to say you believe in something, but the facts can, t- can tell a different story. We can say we believe in feeding the hungry, and then we actually never go out and do it. We can say that we've got a heart of compassion, and then we never check on our elderly neighbor that lives next door. We can say that we want to follow Jesus, and then we don't want to change anything about our lives. At the moment, our billboard, as you drive into church, says in big letters, for Jesus, for Nottingham, for you. Can we honestly, as a church, say that we are doing what we say we believe? Thankfully, I think the answer to that question is yes. (laughs) Thankfully, we can. I think we can wholeheartedly say that our life reflects what we say we believe as a church. I guess the challenge is, as individuals, are we as deliberate? about stepping out and letting others see what we really believe in. Does your life and does my life reflect what we say we believe? In the book of uh, James, uh, James was Jesus' brother in, in the book in the New Testament of James. It says this, Suppose your brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? He goes on to say, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. I think there it is in in, in one sentence. James hits the nail on the head. You see, fans are mainly static. Fans go and watch, they stand and support, they say the right things, and they've acquired the knowledge, but they don't do anything with it. They don't do anything with it. Followers, on the other hand, by, by definition, to be a follower, you have to be moving. They take that knowledge and they turn it into action. They take that knowledge and they turn it into action. Now, I'm going to let you into a little secret. Over the last few years, Helen and I have really got into Strictly Come Dancing. Any, any Strictly fans in the room? Oh, yes, there's a few here. Not as many as I was hoping for. Um, so, they're, they're perhaps just not prepared to admit it. Come on, it's freedom. There's freedom here. Um, so we've really got into Strictly Come Dancing. And it's amazing over you know, a few years how we have become like armchair experts we really have become armchair experts. We always sit there and say things like, oh, that Rondé was well out of shape, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and everybody knows when you're doing the jive, you've got to get your kicks and flicks right. Come on. <laughs> so we sit there with all this advice. We've never danced a step in our lives. <laughs> As fans of the show, we have all the knowledge, but we haven't put it into action. We could easily say that we believe in dancing. We could easily say that, but we've never actually danced a step in our lives. We are, in the truest sense, fans. But followers, on the other hand, as it says in James, 
They take the knowledge and they turn that into action. I do think it, it is worth me just inserting here because I don't want to mislead anyone. While Jesus does want us to be followers of action, we have to be careful with our motives. You know, with, with great intentions, we can easily get caught up in doing amazing things but actually miss the point of why we're doing them. It talks about in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about people doing all sorts of incredible things in his name. But it says when they get to heaven, Jesus says, I never knew you. Our actions, if we're not careful, can be way more about the what and less about the why. Jesus, of course, wants us to be people of action, but that isn't how we win his affection. So on the face of it, question one may seem quite simple. But as we dig a bit deeper, we see Jesus is really wanting followers who are moving forward with action and who have the right motives. Does my life reflect what I say I believe? And does my life reflect the love that I have for Jesus? That's pretty challenging, isn't it? Let's move on to question two. And I think this is what it all comes down to as we pursue being true followers. Question two, do we really know Jesus and does he really know us? Do we really know Jesus and does he really know us? And I think whatever stage of your journey you're on this morning, this invitation is a valid one. If you're here and you're thinking of picking up a Why Jesus booklet as was said in the announcements this morning, then leave today knowing that Jesus wants to get to know all of you and he'd love you to start and get to know all of him. If you're here and you've been here for the last 20 years, leave today knowing that Jesus wants to get to know all of you and he'd love you to get to know all of him. I want to play a little audio excerpt now from the book that I've been reading. Because I think there's a little story in it that puts this point, or starts to put this point over really well. So it's about two and a half minutes long. Sit back. If you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. But we're just going to hear from the author, Kyle Eidelman. When I take my wife out to eat on a date, she won't let me face the TV in a restaurant. She knows I get distracted watching whatever is on. It could be sports or it could be a special on knitting. I still get sucked in. And I don't really see the problem with it. If there is a lull in the conversation and we don't have anything to talk about, what's the harm watching a little TV? I never really understood why this was an issue until one night when we went out to eat and I got distracted watching two couples at different tables. At one table was a young couple, clearly in love. They must have been newlyweds, but my guess is they were still dating. They were sitting on the same side of the booth, snuggled up, talking non-stop, laughing at each other's jokes. Their food was getting cold, they didn't care. Next to them was this elderly couple, and I'm guessing they had been married for decades. They did not say a word, nothing. I watched as they just sat there in silence, not saying anything. I finally pointed this out to my wife. I said, look at that. Isn't that kind of sad? It starts off this way, with this couple just talking, talking, so much to say, so much to share, and then decades later you have this elderly couple just sitting there in silence, sad. And my wife said, I think it's kind of sweet. 
Well, I kind of nodded my head in silence, trying to be agreeable, but I was more confused than ever. Then it hit me, or at least I think it did. It's sweet, because the older couple didn't have to say anything. Being together, focused on one another, even in silence, was a picture of the kind of relationship she wanted. If you asked me, I would have pointed to the fact that I took her out on a date to a nice restaurant as evidence that I'm a good husband. But as far as she's concerned, that doesn't mean much. If she doesn't have my attention, she doesn't even qualify as a date. We could go to the nicest restaurant in town, and I could give her an expensive gift. But none of that will really mean anything if she doesn't feel like I just want to be with her, know her, and let her know me. More than words, more than my thoughtful acts, she wants my heart. I think it's a great, puts a point over really well, that more than wonderful deeds, more than kingdom achievements, more than our words of affection, more than our songs of worship, more than our prophesying, more than our healings and miracles, Jesus wants to define our relationship with us knowing him and him knowing us. I think as we dig deeper and we begin to DTR, define our relationship, define the relationship with Jesus, we see that knowing Jesus and him knowing us requires us to live at a completely, completely different level to that of a fan. This isn't about lukewarm living. This is about Jesus wanting a proper relationship with us. Jesus wanting a wholehearted relationship with us. And I don't know about you, but I, I find that incredibly exciting. Jesus doesn't want me to live my life as a fan on the edge of knowing him, occasionally standing in line to get my CD signed. That isn't what Jesus wants. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of James Taylor. Anybody like James Taylor here? Three of us, brilliant. Um, I'm a big fan of James Taylor. It's like James Taylor saying, hey, Nigel, why don't, you, why don't you come over? You know, let's hang out together. Let's get to know one another. Let's spend, bring the family. Let's spend some time developing a relationship. That's what's on offer if we decide to follow him. Um, follow Jesus, not James Taylor, by the way. Just want to make that clear that James Taylor is a very nice man, but it's, this is what's on offer if we decide to follow Jesus. He follows with his, whose actions really do demonstrate their love for him and followers that know him and are really known by him. Or if we put it another way, followers whose life reflect what they say they believe and followers who really want to know Jesus and be known by him. So as I come into land then, um, where would you put yourself on that line? between a fan and a follower? Where would you put yourself? Would you be sitting backstage with Jesus or would you be queuing in line to get your CD signed? What would Jesus be saying to you right now if you were having a DTR with him, a define the relationship with Jesus? I was thinking about this. And if, and if I'm really honest, if I'm really honest, I've had times where my journey is swayed. I've had times where I've been a full-on follower, and I've had times when I've been a pretty average fan. 
times when I've really wanted to press in wholeheartedly to everything that Jesus has and follow him with everything I have. And then times when it feels like the wind's been taken out of my sails or the rug's been pulled from under my feet. And I'm sure we've all had moments like that, haven't we? We've all had moments where, you know, we've been like, okay, starting tomorrow, Jesus, I'm going to get up and I'm going to give the first 30 minutes of every day from now on to you. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to worship. And then by day three, you've fallen asleep into your coffee cup. You know, or, or we've had times where you've, you know, you've said, I'm going to start and read the Bible in the year. And then by October, you're still in February. That's me, by the way. I'm sorry about that one. <laughs> or, or times, you know, where you've said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to go out on the street with, with Ben Hyatt and, uh, and Jim and Ed and some of the team. I'm going to go out on the street and, and talk to people about Jesus. And then you wake up in the morning and it's raining. Ah, oh, that one also happened to me. Um, I did actually go out a few weeks later, so you'd be glad to know. But, but these things, it sometimes feels like it's way too hard to maintain being a follower. It's hard to sustain it at that level. And then a few weeks ago, I was kind of, um, this was swimming around, this talk was swimming around in my head. And I was down by the river one morning. And Helen and I have this little routine where um, maybe three or four times a week, first thing in the morning, we'll go for um, a jog. I was going to say run, but it's more like a jog. A jog, or we'll walk down by the river. And we've been doing this for about the last three or four years now. And it's really interesting seeing how the seasons change when you're down there. Sometimes you can be down there and it's very, very bleak. And other times it can be absolutely beautiful. But maybe five or six times a year you'll go down there and it will be, there'll be no wind. It will be absolutely still. The, the, the river Trent looks like glass. It's incredible. And the atmosphere is completely changed down there by this one thing. This one thing, no wind, completely changes the environment and the atmosphere down there. And I felt, uh, when this happened a few weeks ago, I felt Jesus say to me, what one thing could you change? that is going to impact your environment? What one thing could you do that would move you down that line between a fan and a follower? And so as I drove to work in that morning, I kind of, this was swimming around in my head. And my normal routine, it's about a 15, 20-minute journey for me into, into work. My normal routine would be that I'd put the radio on and just catch up on the news as I drive to work. And I didn't do that. I drove to work no radio on, just kind of in, you know, thinking about this and in conversation with Jesus and praying about it. And then when I got to work, I got out of the car and I really felt Jesus say to me, hey, why don't we do this more often? Why don't we do this more often? And, um, and I realized I'd just had this DTR moment with Jesus, this define the relationship moment with Jesus. And so for the last few weeks, that's what I've done. I've, I've driven to and from work, no radio on, just praying and in conversation with Jesus. Does that make me an incredible follower? Not really. Um, is it a step in the right direction? Yes, it is. It's a step in the right direction because 
it's changed the atmosphere of my day. It really has. I arrive to work feeling in a better place. And it's made, it's heightened my desire to press in to wanting to be more of a follower than a fan. And only Jesus knows where that will lead when we're living like that. Only Jesus knows where that will lead. So I guess today my question is the same question to you. What one thing could you guys do this week that would allow you to be more of a follower than a fan? What one thing could you do? You know, I've come to realize that being a follower of Jesus requires us to be constantly embracing DTR moments, define the relationship with moments, changing the small things, evaluating our motives, embracing challenge. And Jesus isn't looking for us to be perfect. Don't mishear me. That's, that's not the point. Jesus doesn't want us to be perfect. But what he is looking for is a true, honest, and open, wholehearted relationship with him. A relationship where we can say that our lives really do reflect what we say we believe. Because ultimately, ultimately, we know and we want to know Jesus And we really want to be known by him.